You're listening to the Co-Creator Network. When you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. Good afternoon. Welcome to Why Shamanism Now, a practical path to authenticity with your host, Christina Pratt. Director of the Last Mask Center for Shamanic Healing. She's talking about how shamanic skills can bring us to physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual well-being, especially when nothing else can. Now, here's your host, Christina Pratt. Welcome, everyone, to Why Shamanism Now. This is your host, Christina Pratt, and I'd like to begin here today by calling in the helping spirits to be with us. And I call out first to the ancestors. To those people who lived well and died well, those in your bloodlines and those in mine, call out to those people who are prepared at this time to return to us as true ancestral helping spirits who have come to a kind of reconciliation with with their lives in such a way that their entire life now is available as wisdom, as teaching, as an expression of understanding how to live as a human in a good way in the world. We ask these ancestors to be with us so that we don't have to repeat every single one of their same mistakes, but to do things differently, to be here and learn from the past, and to be the vehicle through which innovation and transformation can occur so that we can create a very, very different world than the ones our ancestors came from. So we call out to these ancestors to be with us here today, and we give great gratitude for their presence. And we call out for the ancestors that are non-human, those of the natural world, those of the elemental world. We call out to all of these dreamers, for they're all part of the great dream that brings life as we experience it here to this planet. And we call out to those ancestors to be with us, to help to restore our true nature, to help to restore our elemental nature, and to help us to be less lost and distracted in the web of contemporary life and to let us fall back and rest to become easy in a deeper and more intimate relationship with a life that is true and lasting and a life that will go with us when we die. So I call out to all of these ancestors, human and non-human, to gather around us here today. And with these ancestors gathered around, let us trust their presence and focus in on ourselves. Draw our awareness down into our head, from our head to our heart, from our heart to our belly. And to reach down to the earth and take a moment to give thanks for this day. Thanks for all the wonder, all the beauty, all the diversity, all the frustrations, all those nasty looking gifts you haven't figured out yet how to open. All the richness that life offers you for your life of transformation. We give great thanks for the abundance and the bounty of this earth. We give thanks for what is in this moment, for what will be. And thanks for all that has happened to bring you to this day at this time. We give great, great gratitude for the earth and the generosity of her dreaming. And we reach down through all the layers of the earth to the very center of the earth. And as we let our energy and imagine our energy settling there, we feel this essence energy of restoration and rejuvenation and replenishment. We connect into the silence and the stillness, the darkness. We connect with this energy and begin to draw it up drawing up into our life energy that we can use to be more grounded, to create a sense of home and hearth and family and belonging 
and to do so in a way that does not limit our sense of the vast, expanse, diversity in our human family. There is only one bloodline and there is only one family. And may we use the energy of the earth to come to understand our relationship to our human family in a good way. And may we also use this energy of the earth to understand connection and interconnection and ultimately the oneness of all things. And may we have in this, in this day just one, one moment of a feeling of that oneness so that we can come into right relationship with ourselves and in that then come into right relationship with others right relationship with our environment, and right relationship with the invisible world. And help us to coordinate um, our life in such a way that these relationships cycle and harmoniously and in a healthy way exchange and circulate the energy um, of life between and among things. So let us be part of that web in a good way and to really bring that which is unique to us into it. And so with the energy of the earth within us, let us draw our energy up from our bellies to our hearts and our hearts to our mind and reach all the way up to the highest power of the universe, up through the sky and the atmosphere and all the way out into the cosmos, reaching and reaching up to this sky energy, to this essence energy that brings us blessing and protection. And we draw this energy down into ourselves, into these proceedings, into this day. We draw it down in a way that we can feel commitment and devotion and excellence, that we can feel a kind of relationship with our life that is inspired and is illuminated by our help from spirit and allows us to innovate and create and just simply to feel the, the life and the truth and the playfulness and the joy that is present when someone simply lives life in a good way. And so we call out to the energy of the sky to come down all the way down through all the layers of the sky into our head, from our head to our heart and our heart to our belly. So moving all the way down through us to the center of the earth and in this way we offer ourselves as a place of union of earth and sky of these two great legendary lovers that live and are this big love. And we ask our heart to awaken as it is basking in the big love. We ask our heart to awaken, our own unique and precious human heart, to awaken as the crucible of change that it is. And we ask that human heart to open up and draw up the fiery passions of the belly that burn only for the true reason that you are here. And to draw down the clarity that comes from the mind and the upper realms that we can understand and innovate and figure out how do I do what it is that I've come here to do in this time that I've chosen to live in. And we ask these energies to dance here together in the heart, neither one surrendering itself but both a worthy and luscious dance partner. And we ask these energies to dance in such a way that they give birth through their dynamic together of this third and most sacred thing, which is our memory in our heart of why we are here. And may may we remember to look here, not reaching out far away from ourselves for visions of our true soul's purpose, but to look here in our heart for that which awakens the memory of the soul's song we came into this life with. And for our heart's infinite patience in carrying for us this memory and this song, we give thanks. We give thanks to the spirit energies gathered round 
And we ask all of these energies to help us to have the courage to do something in this day to bring our true and unique genius out into the world. So I give thanks to you, those of you listeners who are able to donate, whether it's a lot or a little, it doesn't matter to me. It is the gesture that is the essence of Aini moving here in the world. So if this show moves you in any way, if it moves you to anger and frustration, moves you to inspiration or laughter, if you've been moved in the heart, you have been moved. And so I ask you to do something to let that movement in your heart motivate you into action to do something to help the show to grow. If you can donate financially, fabulous. You can go to whyshamanismnow.com, go to the support button and donate any amount, large or small, in any currency. We are not picky. And it all goes to directly keeping the show on the air. But there are also many things you can do in this time of electronic interconnectivity to help the show itself to grow. Um, And then there's that great old-fashioned way of helping the show to grow, which is simply to take the teachings and use them in your life. Let me know what happens. Share with me your questions and your show ideas and help me to keep the show relevant to those of you who are listening. So thank you, everyone. Thanks to those of you who can financially support the show because there are many, many who listen that I get emails from who can't. And they always close their emails with gratitude for those of you who can. So thank you all for the great interchange of energy that is helping us to do what we're doing that we call Why Shamanism Now. And I give great thanks to Co-Creator Network and Ken for giving us a happy home that we feel very aligned with. So we're not live today. But if you do have questions about today's show topic, which is authenticity in shamanism, please feel free to email me at Christina at lastmaskcenter.org. It's a big topic. We could do another show about it. Um, But for those of you who are just listening for the first time, the first part of this show was last week's show. Um, Today, we're shifting uh, to looking at another dynamic of authenticity in shamanism that I simply call life and death. So if we look at contemporary time, So Carlos Castaneda published The Teachings of Don Juan in 1968, and this was the first of a series of popular books that describe his his alleged training um, in shamanism, right? And then many, many, many people still read this book. This is a hugely, continues to be a hugely popular book. So then uh, moving along, Michael Harner published The Way of the Shaman in 1980, And in only seven short years, by 1987, he left academic anthropology entirely to devote himself full-time to the preservation study and teachings of shamanism as the president and primary teacher in the nonprofit Foundation for Shamanic Studies. And then if you fast-forward even further to today, 2014, you can Google Shaman Portal which lists shamanic trainings on seven different continents plus online courses. So what is authenticity in shamanism? With all of this opportunity and all of this diversity, it is still rare to meet someone who can articulate what makes a shaman authentic. Some would argue that only family tradition and bloodline makes someone a shaman. Uh, While some people 
were drawn to Carlos and Michael. Others were spending time with very powerful shamans, medicine men, medicine women of different First Peoples nations on different continents in the world. So people have been traveling to study with shamans on different continents for this entire time, um, this contemporary time that we're talking about. So there's that belief that authenticity comes only out of tradition and bloodline. There are others who prefer their shamans to have academic degrees with letters behind their names. Similarly, some people flock to authors who write books about their their own personal shamanic adventures. And in this way, there is this assumption, um, like the first group, that assumes it must be bloodline and tradition. This group assumes um, that the system that validates a teacher in our Western world degrees and publications also validates a shaman. Okay. And then there's others that look at the newly emerging pedigrees and the sort of politics of contemporary shamanism. And they believe that being trained by a prestigious organization like the foundation for shamanic studies will make their shamanism authentic or an expensive course of training like those offered at the four winds society that, that these are indicators of the value and the authenticity of the shamanic training found there. The question I'm asking today is, do any of these things guarantee authenticity in a shaman? For my money, the one thing that guarantees authenticity is the authenticity, the intimacy of the relationship between the shaman and the spirits that he or she works with. So that authenticity has absolutely nothing to do with the outside world of the person in question. That the authenticity is entirely rising out of the intimacy of the person with spirit. And that intimacy is utterly dependent on the person's intimacy with themselves. And we always must remember that spirit will do what spirit will do. It is not logical, and it is not fair. So if you look at the stories of how shamans are called or how they are selected in different um, you know, pre-contact before colonization, you know, how, how shamans were called, um, you see lots of stories about children being taken, quote-unquote, that their souls are taken by the initiatory spirit and that the child sort of sleepwalks through life while their soul is out um, being challenged by this initiatory helping spirit. And that what the spirit is ultimately looking for is proof in the child's actions of a pure heart. And the thing about this is this is a funny translation because the other thing about these initiatory experiences with spirit is that there is always in the end the need for the spirit of the child to escape. And so it's not just about this sort of um, bunnies and fairies purity, this simple innocence. It's not purity in a simplistic sense. It's a pure heart, the whole heart. So it's a heart that has courage. It's a heart that learns and and grows and, and trains and is ultimately able to escape the spirit. It's the pure heart that is open to new wisdom, that, um, that uh, 
is not open to the things that don't resonate as truth. So there is discernment in this heart. And it's the pure heart that um, doesn't reach for this relationship with spirit out of a place of ego or desire to be the shaman, but finds in this relationship with spirit a greater truth in their expression of their self. I mean, not that children would necessarily articulate it this way, but in the stories of, of what the shaman's report was happening to them before they got back and came back into their body. And, and sometimes they're gone for years. The stories are all about all these different dynamics of the heart being tested and the child really uh, finally being able to gather all those qualities of the heart up and make the escape and return to their body. Now, they return forever changed. They are not the child that left and they never will be again. They are forever changed by this contact with spirit, by this teaching, by this challenge, and by this ultimate escape and return to themselves. And that in essence, they draw the capacity to do that up out of their own heart. And so when I say I believe that authenticity in shamanism comes out of intimacy and that the intimacy with spirit is coming out of this intimacy with the self, this is what I'm talking about. This, this kind of cultivation of all of these qualities of the heart. Now, for the couple weeks prior to this show, I was talking about the courageous heart class um, or process, healing process, actually, that I teach, that spirit gave me to teach. And it's all about this. It's all about how do contemporary people that live in such a way that they mostly don't get stolen as children. They mostly hang in there and stay contemporary people being very, very confused until much later in life. So how do we then awaken that pure heart that really offers the kind of intimacy with self that supports the intimacy with spirit that supports the authenticity in shamanism? Which takes me back again to what I want to reiterate. Spirit chooses flying in the face Defying tradition and bloodline, defying academic pedigree, defying where it's supposed to happen. I mean, the, the calling of a new shaman by spirit is every bit as unruly as love. It's always showing up where it's not supposed to be, when it's not supposed to happen, right? These are the things we live for. And they're not logical. And they're not fair. But this is what I mean when I say I believe from the stories and from my own experience that it is this intimacy of heart, fullness and this pure uh, multifaceted heart and the willingness to be intimate with that heart that is at the root of all authenticity in shamanism. So it's not enough to be native as they say. You know, it's not enough to have these roots in a particular bloodline. It's not enough to be trained by the right people. It's not even enough necessarily to spend 24 years um, visiting a particular shaman again and again and again in training. It's not fair. It doesn't work that way. It's about are you willing in that time, in, in any of those circumstances, 
to actually cultivate this intimacy. So this is what I'm talking about when I say the thing that guarantees the intimacy that then guarantees the authenticity is the sacrifice of the unindividuated self. That child that returns in Nepal, for example, these kids return before they're teenagers. So these kids often return. They're, they're taken when they're five, seven, nine. You know, they return before they're the age of initiation from childhood to adulthood. And so they return utterly changed. They are not the child that left their parents. And they never will be again. And their body is still a child. And they will still live through the development, the physical development of their body from child through adolescence to adulthood. But in this, they have already sacrificed the child that they were to become the person who could escape and get back. And so they've already sacrificed their unindividuated self. Now, whether this happens at this early age or whenever it does in the journey of someone coming into an authentic shamanic life, um, the point is that that person is willing to sacrifice the unindividuated self and come into have the courage to come into an intimacy with the person you've come here to be and who is ultimately going to be an adult. And so this childish inner life can't support the demands on the psyche or the rigor of effective shamanic work. So yes, children can happily journey. And yes, shamans are notoriously playful and childlike in their joy in life. So there is certainly a childlike quality in mature, authentic shamans, and there is a natural affinity and simplicity with children and shamanic work. But what I'm saying is that there is a difference between these qualities and the current day me-focused adult children that is uh, this, the norm in America, for example. And that in this, this current day adult child where there is this tendency to choose distraction rather than to deal with what needs to be dealt with. There is a tendency to engage in addictive altered states, to escape, to delude, to cultivate an illusion of specialness, but not to get down and do the work. And there is also a tendency in this, this, this contemporary adult child sort of attitude to deny the heartbreaking pain of all of the many ways our culture has failed us and to accept a diagnosis and take a pill that it's easier. And so it's very important if we're going to challenge or ask questions about authenticity to understand the fundamental function of this uh, loss of the child self, this sacrifice of that unindividuated self uh, in, in the process of creating the quality of intimacy necessary to evolve into authenticity in shamanism. So we live in a time 
when internationally loved teacher of shamanism, Sandra Ingerman, is encouraging Western-trained practitioners to take their shamanism out of a box. So we know something is missing in Western training, basically. Author and practitioner Evelyn Reisdyke, she wrote a great book we talked about last year on the show um, called Spirit Walking. And that book was uh, sparked by her own experience of realizing that there was this certain something in the indigenous shamans that she worked with that was entirely missing in most Western-trained practitioners. So that's then, again, noticing something's missing. There's There's this thing, there's this piece of authenticity in the work that is missing and and why because of course there's boatloads of sincerity there's enormous commitment there's years of practice there's there's great sacrifice actually there but there is the avoidance in the contemporary culture of actually sacrificing truly sacrificing the unindividuated self and all the entitlement we believe we deserve from that and to really risk the raw feeling of that intimacy with the heart. Authenticity requires sacrifice. The sacrifice of this contemporary sense of entitlement. Authenticity requires sacrifice of our old world brain that is shaped by ideas of individuality and built on the belief um, that we are separate this apparent separation of things, this belief in the physical world and this idea that dualism is an antagonistic situation by all definitions, which it's not. Authenticity requires sacrifice of the old world heart and the feelings of selfish, need-based love, the idea that you complete me, this kind of um, pathos and drama in love that actually is based on the needs of that heart, um, the needs of the heart that arise because the psyche, the person, is unwilling to sacrifice the unindividuated self. And so the heart is struggling with this limitation. And the authenticity requires a selfless surrender to the calling to serve the people and the planet and the times that we live in. In other words to do things you don't necessarily want to do and to not do things you do want to do. For example, I have been told point blank by children, adults that are in coma, I am on my way out of here. Do not bring me back. And the loved ones are sobbing and crying. They want their loved one back. And my job is to do the one thing I don't want to do which is to escort this soul over, to resolve why they're stuck and escort this soul over because that's what the soul wants to do. While all the human beings around me, all the living around me are, are drawing that person back. So that commitment, that surrender to being willing to serve, even if you don't like what service means, even if you don't like the fact that you don't have permission to help that person, to do that thing you could do. These are the challenges. And it takes a great deal of courage of heart to navigate this, especially today. 
So authenticity requires this, whether we're talking about shamanism or not, frankly. And the health of the human heart requires intimacy. Scary, sometimes heartbreaking intimacy. The heart, to be healthy, the heart needs to be in the energies that it's designed to be in, which are feelings. And feelings are designed to flow. The heart needs this to be healthy. It needs intimacy. Scary, scary. Often heartbreaking, no guarantees, flying by the seat of your pants, feelings, right? Authenticity in shamanism requires an intimacy with spirit. But being human, being a healthy human, doing what you came here to do also requires intimacy of heart. It requires exactly the same thing. And so for this reason, there is a huge draw to shamanic training. And for most of the people going, it's got nothing to do with becoming a shaman. And this is why I have great respect and value for the training programs that don't just focus on turning you immediately into a shamanic healer. Because what most of us need is to be transformed into adults who have shed our unindividuated child self and are now capable of a kind of intimacy with our courageous heart that allows us to be an authentic human in the world. And the important thing about shamanism and authenticity is that nothing that comes from the outside of yourself will guarantee that level of intimacy. Bloodline does not guarantee authenticity. In the literature of first contact people, there is often the acceptance that the gift, you know, the family bloodline gift, often skips a generation, just like we see in contemporary times. Things skip generations. So the fact that it's in your bloodline doesn't mean anything if you're not willing to go the distance in your own heart. So, and certainly degrees, pedigrees, authorship, academia, these things don't guarantee authenticity in shamanism. They're, they're beautiful things. They bring great abundance and diversity into the world, but they don't guarantee authenticity in shamanism. And Lord knows certification by humans, doesn't matter who those humans are, does not guarantee anything. And particularly not authenticity. Because the authenticity in shamanism comes from the intimacy in the human heart which evolves into the intimacy with spirit, which allows the authenticity in the work. So it is about the individual and the quality of their relationship with spirit, period. None of these other outside things matter. And this is why we begin year one with authenticity in the cycle teachings in my four-year program. The first round, the first year, begins with a retreat called Massive Illusion and the Authentic Self. And I spoke about this in last week's show, about how vision and illusion and how important it is to intentionally and continuously prepare your mind so that you can learn the difference between visions and illusions or fantasy, that this is a critical place to begin. So the second priority in the beginning of this training is authenticity, what we're talking about today. So right out, first retreat, first part of the first year, boom, authenticity. And in this, we have two main focuses. The first is the reshaping of understanding 
that illness and disease enter the adult life where we are not living and breathing our authentic true nature. So this can't be properly understood from a sense of blaming yourself for disease and illness. That's not the point. The point is about understanding that where we maintain a life that is separate from ourself, we create fertile ground for disease and illness, for dysfunction and addiction. And that's what I mean by saying we want to reshape our understanding of health and well-being so that we understand that illness and disease are only able to enter our life because we are not living and breathing our authentic true nature, that we are not owning all of it, right? And we're allowing it to be used by something else. And again, this isn't about blaming yourself for your misfortune or your ill health. It's about understanding differently where it's coming from, and that it's about your relationship with authenticity that's allowing it to happen. So in this, then, there is the responsibility of the first-year student to reshape their understanding of how they participate in the disharmony and lack of well-being in their lives and to become accountable for their own health. So this path is not about a path to health. It's about first the path to authenticity. So in other words, our relationship with our soul's purpose and our authenticity is the cornerstone of our well-being. It's about replacing that cornerstone and understanding it's the quality of that relationship that is going to maintain and sustain the well-being. And this is very important because you, yes, you, every one of you, owes your gift to the world. And the majority of us, myself included, need our health to deliver those gifts. Not exactly everyone, because some people deliver amazing gifts through their illness. Granted. And I've worked with some of these phenomenal people. However, most of us, the majority of us, need health to deliver our gifts. So the other part of the way we're unfolding this this, um, engagement with authenticity in the first year training is um, that we unfold this path to authenticity by understanding um, that authenticity is to free the body's innate wisdom of healing through right relationship with life and death. And so it's to move us out of this, this sort of the drama of the child that's trying to survive, which is all fear-based. And this whole, you know, will I be loved? Can I love? This whole love and fear drama and to shift our awareness out of that axis of life into the life-death axis. And in that, to re-engage our innate understanding of choice and free will. And in this way, we develop this new understanding of what free will means and and what my responsibility to choose means. Um, So this has nothing to do with religious definitions or laws of attraction or all that kind of stuff. That this is really all about um, working with free will from a shamanic perspective. In other words, understanding what is mine to do? What am I required to do so that spirit is better able to work with me? I mean, the simple example that comes up again and again on the show is I need to choose to have a boundary. If I have a boundary, even a crappy boundary, I can call my helping spirits in to make that boundary look good. And that's going to help me to get through the day as if 
if I had a pristine and healthy boundary. So while I'm in the process of becoming a person who runs her energy and makes her choices in such a way to maintain a healthy boundary, spirit can help me. So it's about understanding what spirit can't do is make a boundary for me when I choose not to have one. And so it's recognizing where my choice functions in my relationship with spirit and everything else in the world. And so it's very important if we're going to engage in authentic shamanic life, which leads to shamanic practice and potentially becoming a shamanic healer, that we need to understand, we need to retrain our understanding around this aspect, fundamental aspect of authenticity, which is choice, free will, and understanding right relationship with life and death. So this has um, the right relationship with death in the beginning of the cycle work is about meeting death in the spirit world as a helping spirit and asking for help. And so it's a direct frontal confrontation of whatever your garden variety American fear of death is. And just, just go. Just journey. Go to death. Have a conversation. Begin the relationship. Say you're sorry for being such a goober for your whole life and, and step up. And so it begins by meeting death in the spirit world and asking for help with a particular thing that we're doing on that day. And that ultimately then, as we begin to make death an ally, what we learn from death, and this is really important because culturally speaking, we are terrible about doing this. So what we learn from death is how to release fully, how to let go of things. I mean, we have people that have entire lucrative professional lives cleaning up other people's clutter because people can't let go. People don't know what to release. This is astronomically um, opposed to living authentically, to gather all of these, this dead stuff, basically. And so this, this dynamic of free will and right relationship with death is understanding moment to moment what am I ready to release? What am I ready to let go of? Where do I need to surrender? Because if we can't let go and we can't release, we can't surrender. If we can't surrender, we actually can't ever come into the intimacy necessary with ourselves to come into the intimacy necessary with spirit to actually practice shamanism authentically. It doesn't mean our journeys don't work, but it's still operating at this sort of psycho-emotional place where, where spirit is still trying to get us to a place where we can actually see things shamanically and actually begin, you know, it's back to the shamanic playpen. Okay, so, so back to what I was saying. So authenticity, life and death. Okay, so right relationship with death is about getting to this place with death, ultimately in that first year, by working with death regularly, that we learn to release, we learn how to truly let go of things. We learn we need to fully surrender to something. And we learn to allow grief to run its full course. So it's these things among many other things that we ultimately learn from death. Right? But the other piece is right relationship with life. So it's about choosing what you give life to. Right? Because everything you think, everything you say, everything you do... Certainly, you are giving life to. You're giving life to your inner critic. 
you're giving life to your tobacco addiction, you're giving life to your yoga practice, you know, you're, everything we're thinking, everything we're saying, everything we're doing, we're giving life to all day long. Even in our dreams at night, we're giving life to things. And so where do you choose to give life and where do you take it away? And so this dynamic of birth, rebirth, death, ego death, this thing that we're uh, confronting in the very first year is not about the hero's journey. I mean, it is, but that's not the point. The point is getting so much more fundamental about how we can engage with our shamanic life authentically, which requires first that we engage with life authentically. And yes, it's a hero's journey, but my point is it's not scripted into the training because I read Joseph Campbell. It's in the training because this is what spirit told us to do right from the get-go. Begin with helping people learn to discern and sort out visions from illusions. And for contemporary people, this is a huge task. And confront our issues around authenticity immediately. And so this is the beginning of the cycle training. And this is all based on actually coming in already knowing how to journey. So this is all the first week. And this is integrated and then practiced into the lives of the students over the next six months. Because then there's another part of the first year training. So you can see why this isn't the most popular training out there. It's very, very challenging. And it is meant to sort out those who do not have the heart for it. And for someone who falls in love with the potential in every single person that she meets, this has been a very hard thing for me to deal with. That this training, A, is designed by spirit. That's not the hard thing to deal with. But, that's, but the point is, it's designed by spirit. Just as those spirits were looking for the pure heart in the children that I, in the stories I told in the beginning of this show... In this training, spirit is looking for the pure heart in the people. And it is particularly challenging in the first year basically to weed out those people that don't have the heart for it and, and, and let them move in another direction that is more true for them in this particular lifetime. But for those who are in this lifetime to live from the heart – this is an excellent training program. Whether you give a rip about whether you ever do a shamanic healing or not, this is a program if what you want is to awaken that intimacy in the heart that will let you live your true life. And this is why I've never really presented the cycle training as teachings about becoming a shaman. Because no one should, becoming, should be becoming a shaman before they've become authentic. And so it's about authenticity. Masks of illusion and the authentic self is the title the Spirit gave for the first week. Because this is where we as contemporary people must begin. So that's the first week. <laughs> and um, just like the spirits who at times randomly select people and initiate them... They are looking for people with a pure heart in the work. They are looking for those with courageous heart. Because it is the heart where we are willing to bring the work that engages intimately and allows for the authenticity 
of truly powerful shamanic work. So my point about the cycle teachings, <coughs> excuse me, is that we all need them because our hearts need them. In this culture, our hearts are largely broken because the culture itself has failed us and frankly broken our hearts. But that doesn't mean we have to lay down and take it. And I, I see the cycle teachings as a gift from spirit to restore to us a path to awaken our true hearts, those true pure hearts, and to find again our own authenticity in spite of the fact that our culture has failed us. And it's designed particularly to do it with a certain kind of person that gets created by a culture that fails you in this particular kind of way. So it's really a precise remedy to a particular diagnosis. The diagnosis of how do you take a culture of the brokenhearted and restore their true, pure hearts so they can rediscover their authenticity and then from that place find their calling in the world. So to engage with going, what is going on in the world today, I find personally somewhat heartbreaking. Not that there aren't really inspiring, beautiful things going on, you know, and lots of cats and funny dogs to watch on Facebook, right? But the point is, under it all, we must deal with the things that are breaking our hearts. We cannot keep avoiding that heartbreak. And this is our world. We are the living. This is our time. And we are the medicine for this time. Or at least we could be. We are the answer to the prayers. But are we willing to become the medicine? And, and this is really my point today in questioning, what does authenticity really mean? Because I'm aligned with Sandy and Evelyn and all of these people that are saying, we're not there yet, people. We've begun. There's nothing wrong with our beginning. But it is not time to rest on our laurels because, frankly, we don't have any. We could be the medicine for our time if we were willing. If we were willing to let our broken hearts become the true, pure hearts they were born to be in spite of the damage of our culture. And a culture that, frankly, is beginning to take over the world. Right? So the cycle teachings provide an excellent foundation for those called to practice shamanic healing. Because it is a path to that kind of authenticity that will make you a powerful, powerful practitioner. But more importantly, these cycle teachings teach us all how to engage our free will to live our authentic life and to do so in a way that is sustainable, that is conscious and connected to all life, and is aware of the longer picture, the broader picture, the picture that is big enough to encompass all life. So the spirits gave us these teachings. They gave us these teachings because they're the precise remedy to help us to become the medicine that our world needs. 
I'm not saying that the cycle teachings are the only path to awaken our authenticity. I certainly am today challenging the standard definitions of authenticity. But I am saying that cycle teachings are designed by spirit to begin there at the the issue of authenticity in a contemporary person. That spirit has always begun there, searching for the pure-hearted human and awakening their intimacy. And from that intimacy comes the authenticity in shamanic work that we have experienced when we do go visit these great shamans of our time. So I really believe that authenticity does come from the practitioner's relationship with life and death, not from bloodlines or PhDs. And that anyone can do that if they have the heart for it, that can move into this place of the pure heart and a a different understanding of life and death. And if you have the calling or the passion that sustains the journey into shamanism, anyone can do that if they're willing to restore that pure heart through going into and engaging all of the reasons that it is in pain. So it's a journey, and it's not an easy one. So we as people who seek shamanic healing, and as people who seek shamanic trainings, need to cultivate a feel for authenticity. We need to not be overwhelmed by charisma of a particular teacher or practitioner, and we need to not be seduced by power. We need instead to learn to trust things that are more humble, Trust things that are natural. Perhaps trust things that are even camouflaged because they fit so well into the natural order of things. You know, and you really don't even have to take my word for it because, well, here's a message from Owl that was given to the group that began the cycle teachings last year. So basically, regardless of when you're listening to this podcast, there's always a mass of illusion in the authentic self starting each year. One a year, it begins every year. This next one begins in August. The registration is up on my website, uh, lastmasscenter.org, August. You can register right online. And I encourage you to do that. And the point is, no matter when you're listening to the show, though, there's always another one coming. It's always a possibility. It's, it's not confusing. There's one a year, and there's only one a year. So anyway, back to Owl's message. So this is a message that Owl gave last year as the group was preparing to go do, begin the work with death, begin the process of creating um, death as an ally. Watch a frog leap, a bird take flight. A predator stalk prey, prey escaping. There is no hesitation, doubt, inner discussion, analysis. There is intelligence and there is instinct. So why are you, human, so different? The frog, the bird, the cougar, the rabbit. Not one of them is trying to be someone other than who they truly are. Learn from them. Learn to surrender to the truth. Learn to leap, to fly, to seize your purpose, and to escape 
the doubting, hesitating, analyzing false self. And this was a reminder to these first-year students of where they will go in the four years. I mean, not only was it an inspiration to get out of their heads and into the work, but it was also a reminder that the real reason, the deep contemporary person's reason that we escape authenticity is that the false self is driving the bus. And that our in the ways our culture has failed us, it has allowed us to develop a very complex and powerful authentic self that is as clever as we are, that knows all of our moves, and it knows all the skeletons in the shadow closet. And so what is really important to understand as a contemporary person approaching shamanism, be it your own shamanic life or wanting to become a shamanic practitioner, traditional people lived in such a way very intentionally that their daily expectations of a man or a woman in the culture kept them from being able to develop our kind of false self. And they did it so that they didn't develop this kind of false self. And this kind of false self can dominate your entire shamanic training program. So if you want authenticity in your shamanic practice, you must dismantle your false self. And that is actually the bigger story of what is going on in the cycle teachings that begin with mask illusion and the authentic self is to get to true authenticity as a contemporary person. It's not just about the pure heart, but it's also about dismantling the false self, which is the person that you have learned to be that is safe and succeeds in the world. So the question really is then what are you going to do about that false self? Because we live in a culture that, and this is what I mean by saying diagnosis and remedy. We live in a culture that because of the particular ways it has failed us by not tending the gates, by teaching us certain values, by basing our whole development of our psyche on a separation from God, all of these things create a particularly strong, powerful, and complex false self. Any human being can develop a false self. And actually most human beings do, but they're not very strong and powerful because they get... um, annihilated at birth they get annihilated at the initiation from childhood to adulthood and they get annihilated again as a person is brought into their calling as an adult and they get annihilated again when we tend death and so the false self energy never gets to develop the way it does in a contemporary person and so the cycle teachings are traditional shamanic teachings adjusted to attend to the fact that we are not traditional people we are coming in with false selves that are terrifyingly powerful and how do we need to learn and what do we need to learn how do we even begin the process so that ultimately in four very short years we are capable of actually dismantling our own false self without dying first to do it and Ken Wilber actually talks about this it's kind of a nice quote he says at this point in history the most radical pervasive and earth-shaking transformation would occur simply if everyone were truly evolved to a mature, rational, and responsible ego capable of freely participating in the open exchange of mutual self-esteem. Then there would be a real new age. And I completely agree. But he's basically saying, if we could all dismantle our false self and step into healthy, mature authenticity, 
we would have a revolution and it would be beautiful. And Owl said it this way, fire takes from you what no longer serves you. The earth grounds what is essential to you. The water teaches you to be in the world in a good way, to be a source of healing, to be a source of peace, to flow and in that flow to nourish life. So what are you human to do? You bring to earth a human heart. This is unparalleled in the universe. So magnificent is its power to love. So crushing is its destruction in despair. And you cannot have one without the other. So what are you to do? Choose. Again and again and again. You must choose love. So the spirits teach us in this way. They teach us that everyone has potential and capacity. And all of us have potential in every moment. But few choose to develop their capacity. Because capacity comes from our heart and our choices in life. So I invite you to join me this year, 2014, August, or any year, in the cycle teachings. And learn to choose to come from your heart and to develop your capacity to express your authentic potential in the world. So I give thanks to the ancestral helping spirits for holding us, human and non-human. I give thanks to the helping spirits that have brought the teachings of the cycle into the world. I give thanks for the earth below and the sky above and the heart that unites it all. Next week, we have a guest, and we'll talk um, uh, with Sparrowheart, and we're going to talk about his perspective, about what it means to be a mature spiritual adult in the world. So thank you, everyone, for listening, and have a great week.